It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. From criminal background checks to open records requests, the DECAL legal unit stays very busy supporting our departments as well as working with other state and federal agencies and the general public as well. Leading that team of 27 staff members is Chief Legal Officer Ira Sudman and Commissioner on today's episode, as if we need to do this. No, I'm just kidding. We need to get to know Ira and his legal team a little better. I can't believe think? we've never had him talk about his legal team. We've had him on about I know. best places right. to eat. Right. I think we've had him on for criminal records. records checks, but not generally about what the legal division not does. Not talking about It's going to be fascinating. I don't know why it's taken us this I long. I don't either. But here we are. And he's brought along... Uh, one of the team uh, who is a very important part of that, and that's Greg Brown, Legal Services Officer with DECAL. And we'll talk more with Greg uh, in a moment about um, his part of the legal team. But Ira, let's find out about you. How long have you been here at uh, DECAL? It is this week, 12 years. Wow. This okay. week? This week, yeah. September, well, September 16th, so was 12 years, actually. Okay. How about that? Well, congratulations. You started as uh, what here at DECAL? So I started at a, as a legal service officer. And in uh, seven years ago, I became the chief legal officer. I remember that. I was here for that. <laughs> um, that was right when you first started, right? Just, yeah, there was a little bit of an overlap there. But yeah. yeah. Um, now, what about before DECAL? I know you have served in. So before DECAL, uh, I was a prosecutor. I was an assistant, senior assistant district attorney in Clayton County, and then I was a solicitor in Fulton County before that. And before I came to Georgia, um, I'm also a member of the California Bar. And in California, I was doing, I was assisting the courts in the area of family law. Okay. Oh, okay. Greg, before I forget, how long have you been with DECAL? And tell us about your journey here. I've been here four years now, also this month. That was my four-year anniversary. And uh, prior to that, I was uh, also in criminal prosecution. Okay. Got a couple of former. criminal. Yeah. We have a bunch in Is legal unit. Is that good unit. or bad? I don't know. I think that's probably it's good? good. Okay. All yeah. Right. I mean, you, you, we don't go, want to go light on <laughs> some of these issues out there. So that's, that's great. Um, do you find that um, that background is helpful in your current role? In criminal prosecution? Yeah, I, I believe so. It is it helpful. Um, you know, you've heard in criminal prosecution, you hear every type of defense and you're able to wade through of what people are trying to sell you. And um, but, you know, you're you're trying to test it as a criminal prosecutor. You're in the midst of things. You've you try cases on a regular basis. So you're very familiar with the rules and regulations and evidence so, uh, yeah, it, it makes you a well-rounded attorney, um, you know, not to take any away from any of the other areas of law, but they don't get into a courtroom as much as criminal prosecutors. Right, mm -hmm. right. So we're a regulatory agency inspecting child care programs and doing investigations as needed, but a child care program always has due process with any adverse action, revocation, emergency closure. Explain how that works. So the way we... Uh, ensure that 
providers have substantive and procedural due process starts off with what we call what you would say is a, like a charging document. There's a document that lays out every specific allegation of a violation to the provider. So they don't just get a notice saying they owe money or there's going to be a revocation or there's going to be a termination and don't know why. Right. Right. That's the most critical thing is, is putting them on notice as to what they did wrong. And then they have the opportunity to read it and, and understand it. And so, sometimes they just agree. Mm-hmm. I did do exactly what you're alleging and accept responsibility. If they don't, uh, accept responsibility, then in that same notice, it gives them appeal rights, right? That is that we do not, we're not the end all be all. Just because we say someone committed a violation, it doesn't end there. In those appeal rights, it, it tells the individual, the provider, the owner, what, how they must notify us so that they can get a judge to look at what we claim the violation was and have them have the judge. Uh, make a determination. Are we correct? Mm-hmm. And based upon that, what the judge's ruling is, is how the agency follows. So, um, you know, we ensure that uh, the all the rights that a provider has is, is maintained. How many appeals do we usually receive? So we had 130 appeals that came in um, last year for the, the uh, from a year from this date, and that but that does not include background check appeals. That's a lot more. That's a lot more. So 130 programmatic appeals. And so, if a provider does choose to appeal, is there an opportunity to discuss it with us and try to settle it without going to OSA? Yeah, I think that is very critical. The last thing we want to do is be closed off and be unreasonable. We really want the opportunity to talk with providers. It is a, you know, it's important that we maintain that relationship that's there. And if there's a way that we can resolve it, um, that's beneficial to both parties, we think it's important. Also, it's a resource issue that, you know, when we go to court, not just, it's not just the attorney that has to go there. It, you know, we could be taking anywhere from five to 10 people out of the field to go down to have a case before OSA. And each of those individuals means they're not making a visit to another facility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can go in guns blazing on every case, but it just doesn't make sense to the department, doesn't make sense to the provider. And in a day or two of negotiating a settlement, you can resolve the whole whole issue. So it, it's very advantageous to everyone. Mm-hmm. Acronym alert again. OSA is the Office of State Administrative Hearings. Hearings. Yes. Those are administrative law judges that actually hear cases not only from DECAP, mm-hmm. but every state agency. Yeah, and they're, uh, you know, just, you know, shout out to the OSA judges, and not just because we go before them. <laughs> they're some of the best judges I've ever been before. They are extremely smart and take their, their cases seriously. Yeah. I have to say, as an observer, and right after I joined the department, Ira actually said, you really got to go down and see an OSA hearing. And I've been to several. It is as um, much of a serious courtroom setting as you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we are the prosecution. The provider has uh, defense attorneys. 
judges there they call witnesses it's also great to see guys like greg in action by the yeah, way definitely um and ira ira occasionally will you know he's a player coach he'll step up to the plate and he'll stand behind the table they love him down there but yeah it's, it's like uh, it yeah. is yeah where's the seersucker where's the seersucker suit <laughs> i'd love to see ira wearing a seersucker suit i will get one down at us that'd be great you can only wear those between Easter and Labor Day. <laughs> yeah, Since I think there's you're a not rule. from the South, you may not know the rules around that. It's like well, white I'm a rebel, so I'll wear it. Yeah. <laughs> you're a rebel. <laughs> so who's the guy in the seersucker suit in December? What's going on? So let's think about the growth of the legal department when it comes to criminal record checks. We've got to go back a little ways, Ira. You were instrumental back in 2013 mm-hmm. in pushing for a national fingerprint background check for anyone working in child care in Georgia, anyone. Yeah. Prior to that, it was just the directors. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we said, you know, that's probably not enough. Yeah, it was uh, at the time Commissioner Cagle uh, and I, we talked about, uh, you know, sweeping changes in the background check area and believed that it was pertinent that all individuals that dealt with children have this background check. It, you know, and prior to that, it was a name-based search only. And uh, a fingerprint background check is the best way to determine if someone has a criminal history that might pose a, a health and safety risk to children in care. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, we decided, again, that it should go for everyone, but not only just um, people that work at the facilities for our own employees as well. Right. And, um, at, you know, we thought it said, hey, if we're going to hold providers to that standard, we're going to hold ourselves to that same standard as well. And so we're not going to put anyone in, in the vicinity of these young children that have not had that clearance that we have. And we have a very, very rigorous um, background check statute that eliminates people from being present. And Greg, you lead all of that work now yes. um, at, for us at DECAL. Yes. But talk a little bit about why that national fingerprint check is stronger and better than just that local name best check that we were doing previously. Well, because it, it uh, involves a lot of procedures to make sure that we get uh, background information from states that the people may have lived in other than Georgia. And the fingerprint-based part of it means that we will, if someone used a different name, we'll still get that background. And it also protects the person in case someone did use their name. And, and the mm-hmm. fingerprints will make sure that we have the correct person. It's a two-way street. Yes. Uh, and let me just ask you that you got your background check. I did. As commissioner. Yes. Did it make you a little nervous? When no. <laughs> See, I was, I was a little so, worried. candidly. Yes. Um, I've had two now since I've been here for five years, and they're good for five years. So when I first came, and because that was new to me, I was like, i got to do what? And they took me to this place I've never been before to get my fingerprints done. And I was like, what if there's something I don't know about? That would be truly embarrassing. <laughs> From college. But then, exactly. Yeah, right. But then five years later, it was, it was, it was just fine. I had no worries. Yeah, I've, I've had it twice, too. It was easy, too. Second time, yeah, I didn't feel. And it's very quick, yes. by the way. Um, so, Greg, walk us through the process. Let's say I've just moved to Georgia. I want to work in the child care industry. How long does this take and is it true we're processing hundreds of these per day? Well, the process is relatively simple. The person registers with the fingerprinting site, which is Jamalto, over the Internet. They then uh, fill out an application on the DECAL website, 
and after that they go and print at the Jamalto location. And usually it takes between one and three days. We're getting most of them back in less than two days. There are some that are more complicated, but for the most part, that's the length of time. And their location is all over all over the Georgia. State. Yes. Right. Easy to find. I got mine in sixteen hours. I literally got. Um, it was uh, like two a.m. I was like email. <laughs> yeah, I, I went in the morning to a Buckhead location, and before I even made it to the office, I had an email back from John Gardner, uh, a member of your staff, saying that I had my uh, what is it clearance letter or yeah, satisfactory. Uh, satisfactory letter, which made me feel good. So I came on into work that day. It was great because <laughs> I had done it first thing that morning. Greg, uh, how many are we processing now? This is a lot of work. We're processing anywhere from. 275 to we've had days where we process six or 700 in a day a day yes but it averages a little over 300 a day i'd say right now so help me out representing not just people new to the industry but this is just an ongoing process every five years they have to have it so that just shows how many people there are in the industry there are a lot of people in the industry our trajectory was 65,000 plus so you know it goes up every day so maybe we'll hit 70,000 and I, I do want to ask Ari because this was something that you did not have responsibility for when you took this responsibility, this it's, job. You know, when I first came on a uh, legal service officer um, back in 27, 2007, we uh, had CCS was in charge of background checks. And Quatavius Copeland, who is part of our unit now, used to work with CCS. And Sarah... Um, she was in charge. There was like four or five members of the CCS unit. Legal played no role except when somebody was unsatisfactory and we'd have a hearing. That's the only mm-hmm. role we played in background checks I when I that. first started. Mm-hmm. And then last year, good news, in October of 2018, so almost exactly a year ago, right. uh, we made the decision to co- to pay for those background checks. Yes. Um, how, how how many have we processed this year? And What's our budget looking like, Ira? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Ryan in here for the budget? Our CRC budget. Yeah. Um, well, we are, as I was saying before, we are looking at about 65,000 um, background checks uh, we're going to do this year. And it's, um, Greg, correct if I'm wrong, about 4875 per check for yes. individuals somewhere Just round like up to 50 yes. $50 mm-hmm. right. per check uh, that's I still there. can't do the um, math in my head yeah that's <laughs> what I'm, I'm really bad at several million math. dollars several million dollars that we've you know we're trying to do whatever we can to make it easier on providers to have everyone check before they get inside um, inside of that facility and and we just did a quick calculation behind us, $3.2 million um, that's per year. So that's a pretty nice uh, price tag that's there. And this came out of the $93 million. Right, it came out of the additional dollars we got from the federal government. And you know, um, I think the child care industry definitely supports um, the reason behind the national fingerprint check, but we heard um, from a lot of folks that that cost is sometimes a barrier to employment. There's not a whole lot of money being made in child care, and the teachers don't make a, a large salary every year. And so um, we felt like we heard that from them, and that's why we dedicated um, several million dollars to pay for those background checks. Everything we can do. So to there's try no to help. excuse not to get one. We pay for it, and Greg's team processes it as quickly as possible, unless there's some issue that we can't resolve in 24 to 48 hours. Right. Yes. 
So uh, let's clarify again, how long uh, is my background check good for, Greg, and, and can I transfer it? to another program. It's good for five years and you can transfer it to another program. We call that porting uh, for 12 months after your fingerprint date. Okay. Very good. And what is a provisional employee? That comes up a lot. Yeah, It does come up a lot. And so uh, when the law, I feel like it's changed a little bit too. It definitely has, you know, provisional employee before our federal law change, a provisional employee is somebody who was working at a facility where the facility didn't know if they were going to hire them full-time, so they were on a local, and they were, that was good for 21 days while they were making a determination, is that the best fit for this facility? And then they didn't have to, before we paid, the facility was on the hook for paying the $50, so they didn't have to pay if they didn't believe that that individual was going to uh, be the best fit. Well, when the federal law changed and said before anyone could be present at all, they had to at least have had a national background check. We had to do away with that definition of provisional employee. And now a provisional employee is simply no different than any employee, it's, but it's somebody who is waiting their out-of-state background checks. So if you had to, if you've lived in another state in the last five years, we have to get additional information on you more than just a national background check. So while you're waiting at the facility, while you're waiting for that uh, additional information from other state, it allows the, the provisional employee allows you to be present at a facility and still work. But the difference is you have to be supervised by an individual who has what we call a comprehensive background check. Mm-hmm. So that's the distinguishment is do you need to be supervised or not? Mm-hmm. And just so we don't come off sounding so heavy-handed, what about a guest in a child care program coming in to read or something like that? They, they can be present once every 90 days to do something like that. A parent can come into their own child's center and be with their own child at any time. But uh, we do allow that once every 90 days without the background check if there's a staff member there. Right. Okay. Very good. Ira, you also handle open records requests and ensure that decals compliant uh, with compliance and transparency in that area. How many open records requests do we receive and, and who are they coming from? Actually, we get quite a bit. Uh, we get approximately two open records requests a day. That's there. And, you know, that might not sound like a lot, but when you deal with how many pages upon pages, sometimes they're, the documents are thousands of pages that we have to go through. And Maria Resnick is the individual who actually uh, sifts through those pages on my behalf every day. And she's got to read them line by line to determine if there's any information in there we have to redact. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine the painstaking process to read thousands of pages to read the line to make sure she's not releasing any information like medical information or, or banking records information that cannot go out to the public. That's something that she does uh, every day for us. And a lot of times the, the, it's, the requests are coming from reporters mm-hmm. um, because there's a story that is of... Uh, I wouldn't just say sometimes national importance, but local importance that's there that uh, might have happened in a child care facility. And then attorneys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also a big portion. You know, children, unfortunately, do get hurt in child care facilities. And there are lawsuits um, around the injury. And attorneys want to know 
what did we document? What did we see? Mm -hmm. And that's the way that they get access to that information. So th those are two, usually our two biggest customers uh, in uh, open records. And it's uh, kept very simple. You go to our website. There's uh, all the information right there, a link. You just email us a pretty standard email. Yeah. It's not complicated at all. Not complicated at all. And what I want to say is... Um, you know, especially if under Commissioner Jacobs, but our commissions before, we, we pride ourselves in being as open and transparent. Unless the law absolutely mandates that something has to be held confidential, we will give that information out. We've been uh, uh, applauded by many other agencies out there um, for how open and transparent we actually are. Is there ever a charge? For open records, there is, but it's statutorily. Um, you know, uh, give you an example of how, you know, open we are. You know, the record, uh, open record says, hey, you can charge uh, the hourly rate of individuals that uh, are preparing it. Sometimes we have people at executive levels preparing information because they have access to it, but we're not going to charge you at their hourly rate. We're going to do it at an hour rate that is reasonable that's there. So we don't we don't gouge individuals just because we have the statutory right to do so. Right. Well, and a lot of information is available on our website without an sure. open records request. That's another way that we uh, we try to be transparent. And some, sometimes folks don't know that it's available, and we can just point them there. And if they can get what they need there, it's much easier. If they're looking for inspection reports, all if they're looking for revocations, letters, yeah. right, posted uh, all there. I, we really are the picture of transparency when it comes to the website. All that information posted. Uh, at decal.ga.gov. So, Ari, you're also the chief ethics officer at that DECAL. What does that involve? What, what does that mean? I mean, I know what it means, but <laughs> tell our audience <laughs> what that means. Well, I mean, there's the governor's uh, order around ethics. I'm required to ensure that everyone is aware of the requirements uh, that the governor's office has put out, is trained on that. And I'm also there to ensure if anyone has questions or concerns to come and talk to me, I always say, ask me questions. It's better to ask me up front than to act and then have to deal with the other side of that, which could be disciplinary actions for violating the governor's executive order. But I get a, a plethora of emails that says, hey, can I do X? Is it okay if I do Y? And I will answer you within 24 hours. Those, I think, are critical um, emails that come out um, and sometimes I might ask for a little bit more information because you could change a fact one little bit and it could go is it ethical yes to no based upon one little uh, thing so I, we try and flesh out the information as quickly as possible and get the individual that answer as to uh, ethics uh, one new thing about ethics that we're going to do there is going to be a new training platform that's going to go out for all uh individuals to meet their training requirements so they're gonna be able to do it online pretty soon oh, wow. i know sh i'm pretty sure everyone who's listening to the podcast who got through already listening to me <laughs> they got up to this point because I, I know how exciting i am We're hiding. um yeah. yeah that uh they're not gonna have their training with me anymore and my uh amazing examples or Jeopardy this year, it's which is pretty disappointing. Fun. I was just about to compliment the team on they're very creative in their training. It yeah. is it is entertaining. It's fun. Ira has really put a lot of effort into it, and now it's all going to be online. It's going to be online. But it'll still be interesting. 
Yeah, you know, ethics <laughs> is always interesting. <laughs> I, I could you know, recommend books on ethics if anyone's interested. <laughs> I've seen some. They're pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> Media, law, and ethics, I remember at Georgia State University. It was a, a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, and these guys do a, a great job. We do want to recommend, by the way, we referenced this earlier, but everyone should go back. Now that you're listening to the podcast, you're familiar with the platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, go back and listen to Season 1, Episode 10 of Decal Download, November 2018, Best Places to Eat in Georgia, and it's featuring Ira Sudman. And so we wanted a quick update. Do you oh, have I got, any new places? He always does. I got a new place. Okay. Now... It's going to be interesting because back then I was not vegan. Exactly. This is true. We've had a change. Yes. Well, I was a vegetarian for some time. Right. But I ate fish. So I was a pescatarian. Okay. All right. And then months ago, it's not that recent, but quite a few months ago, I said, look, I'm going to take the full plunge here mm -hmm. and I'm going vegan. Yep. Okay. Now this, you can get vegan stuff all over the place now, right? Yeah. And so it's not a very difficult thing. So there's this restaurant that I, that I read about. I said, I need to try it, and it's probably some of the best food I've ever had. Viva La Vegan. It's on the west side here in Atlanta. <laughs> Remember that Elvis hit back in the 70s? Yeah. Yes, I'm not <laughs> singing it, but yes. I actually took Commissioner Jacobs yeah, we went. to that restaurant, mm -hmm. and you would not, like, if I got you one of their vegan burgers, and I just put a thing of burgers out in front of you and said, hey, try them. You'd be hard pressed to figure out which one was that vegan burger. Really? That's true. Yeah. You have you, did you have the vegan? I did. Burger? I did have the burger. It was good. Huh. French fries were also good. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was very surprised by their menu because I am not vegan. Um, I like to eat meat, but yeah. um, but it was it was good. I would go back. They had shrimp po' boys. Oh. My only concern was, I asked Ira, so what is this? If it's not ground beef what is this and he did not know <laughs> it's most likely either soy or jackfruit so, yeah yeah okay but Viva. No, but if i had not known and he had just brought me a cheeseburger i would not have been you would have thought vegan. it was okay mm -hmm. that's interesting viva viva la vegan la vegan but you have to get there right when they open because there's a line it's so popular it's wow. very very popular mm -hmm. it's always a good sign it opens at one o'clock mm -hmm. all right and here in atlanta here in atlanta okay so everybody out there, there's your latest. And we, we probably need to make this a weekly thing. Ira's update yeah, on Best Yeah, he's always finding new places to eat. All right. Uh, this is good. We could talk all day. There's so many great things going on in legal. You can go to the website, though, if you'd like more information. Greg, on criminal records, uh, go to our website. And there's even some training available there, I Yes, think. yes. There are training. There are tutorials, webinars, um, all kinds of training available okay. on the website. And Decal Greg is always responsive. If you email That's right. him. Yes. He is. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Very. Yes. And his team. And Got his a great team, team yep. going there as well. Ira, Greg, thanks so much for being with us. We will have you back. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Alicia Jennings, and I work in CCS. And my question for the commissioner is, how would you spend $1 million? Well, thank you, Alicia. That is a, that's actually a really exciting question mm -hmm. to answer, to dream of a million dollars. You know, I think uh, probably if I was being very smart with my money, I would definitely pay off my house um, and make sure I had enough savings for uh, my children's college education. But definitely make sure I had a little fun and maybe buy a nice fancy car. <laughs> definitely um, plan for some nice tropical vacations. 
Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. All right. Seems like you thought about this ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Every week we have the decal download quiz and offer you up some very nice prices from places like Crystal, College Football Hall of Fame, Quick Trip, Stone Mountain Park, and the School Box. Here's our question for this week. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers. Name the two metro Atlantic counties where Ira Sudman worked before coming to decal. Name the two metro Atlantic counties where Ira Sudman worked before coming to DECAL. Send your answers to DECAL Download at decal.ga.gov. Thanks for tuning in to DECAL Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.